Today's scripture is from the 40th chapter of Exodus, verses 33 through 38. So Moses finished the work. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting, because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, and the sight of all of the house of Israel throughout all their journeys. This is the word of God for the people of God. Good morning. My name is Will Bushman, and I am the middle school director here at Rio, and it's a privilege to be up here with you. And it's a bittersweet day. We as a church have been going through the book of Exodus for the past eight months, and we come to the culmination of our narrative in Exodus. And as we've walked through this, me personally, I've come to think about one of my favorite movies as a kid because I relate to one of the characters. And the movie I love is The Incredibles, the original, not the sequel that came out this year, but the original in 04. And if you've never seen The Incredibles, it's about the superhero family. The dad has incredible strength. The mom is like a rubber band. She can flex and change shapes. The son is super fast. The little girl can make force fields and do other amazing things. And as much as I want to say I relate to those characters, I don't. Instead, I relate to this little boy who's on a tricycle this neighbor child that is always just showing up in these scenes. He's always just sitting there waiting and watching. The first time he sees Mr. Incredible, the father, do something amazing, Mr. Incredible gets out of his car and he's this big guy and he shuts the door, but it doesn't shut. So he slams it and he slams it and he slams it. And the car is just concaving in on itself. And he's so frustrated in the end that he picks up the car over his head and there's that little boy on his tricycle just watching. And because I'm a middle school director, I have a video clip for you to watch. (laughs) And that's why I feel like that little boy, because all throughout Exodus, I've seen amazing things chapter after chapter, story after story. And I come to Exodus 40 expectant for something amazing to happen. We start off the book of Exodus, and we see a mother change the fate of this nation because she smuggled a baby down a river. We see the God of the universe come to Moses, our deliverer, and speak to him through a burning bush. We see a battle royale between the God of the Hebrews and the gods of the Egyptians with rivers of blood and angels of death and swarms of locusts. And then when the Hebrew people are finally set free, we come to this point in the story where we think it's all over. Their backs are up against the Red Sea. Pharaoh's chariots are coming to bring them back to their slavery. But God breaks in. God intervenes with something amazing. He splits the Red Sea, and his people walk right down the middle with thousands of feet of water on either side. It's been absolutely amazing. Then we spent 10 weeks looking at the Ten Commandments, something that for a lot of us felt old, that felt ancient, that felt dead. But week after week, we showed up here on Sunday, and we saw that those commandments speak to us today that they matter, that they're applicable for us right here in 2018. So if you open up your Bible to Exodus 40 this week, if you're anything like me and you're honest when you open it up and you got to the tabernacle, you might have been a little let down. 
Because this amazing story comes back to the third section of the tabernacle. And you think, God, you worked through this amazing story. You brought your people out of slavery and into freedom, and you're going to end with Moses setting up the tabernacle. It seems anticlimactic. But I stand up here in front of you fully convinced that all 39 chapters of Exodus, all of the amazing stories were leading up to this single chapter. Because this chapter tells us something. This chapter shows us that God is purposeful in what he's doing. That God took his people, the Hebrews, from bondage to freedom for a purpose. And the purpose is this, to live a life of worship in the presence of God. That all of those chapters, the freedom, the slavery, come up to this point. And that is purposeful in that. And just like what we see every week, we're going to see that God not only is speaking to the Hebrews, telling us a story about the Hebrews, but he's speaking to you and I right here this morning. In the first 32 verses of Exodus in, chapter, in Exodus 40, God comes to Moses and gives him specific details about the tabernacle. At this point, the Hebrew people have made every item that's going to go in the tabernacle, but God comes to Moses with specific details about where to put everything. He starts in the holies of holies with the Ark of the Covenant. He tells Moses to put it right in that spot, and then to set up a veil to separate the space, and then to get the lamp stand and put the lamps in it to get the table of showbread, to put the pieces of bread on it, to put the altar of incense right there in the middle, right in front of the holies of holies. Then Moses is to walk outside, he's to set up a door, and he's to put the laver of cleansing. He's to fill it up with water, and then he's going to finally put the high altar. And around this whole tabernacle, he's supposed to separate it with walls to separate it from the rest of the encampment. So we have to ask, God, why did you spend... 32 verses telling Moses where to put all this. Why does it matter? Why do you spend such intricate details explaining this? Well, God does this purposefully. Because God, through the tabernacle, is making a way to himself. Look where Moses starts. He starts in the holies of holies, where the presence of God will reside, and he slowly works his way out to where the people would have lived. This is a holy God making a way for his unholy people to be in his presence. It's a pathway to God. It's a way of uniting this holy God and his unholy people. And we pick up in Exodus 40, verses 33, and it says, So Moses finished the work. Moses did exactly what God told him. He completed all of the tasks. And then it says this, Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Think about what a sight this would have been. God, the holy God of the universe, the invisible God, is making his presence visible through cloud and through fire. He comes and he dwells in this place. Imagine the God who created all things now wants to dwell with his creation. The God who saved these people from the mighty hand of Pharaoh now wants to show them his powerful intimacy. The God who they complained about still wants to be with them. The God that they've been unfaithful to at many times during this story is faithful to meet his people. He's faithful about his promise. In our English Bibles, if, if you read it, they're amazing works that we're very thankful for, but they split this narrative up a little bit. If you opened your Bible or you clicked on your phone, there's a paragraph break, right? Because the way we read things and the way our stories are written, it says, so then Moses finished the work, paragraph, subtitle, heading, then the cloud a fire came down, and God's presence was in it. But it, it was more prompt than that. God is showing us something even in how he does this, even in the timing 
of all of this. So Moses finished the work, and God came exactly then. Because think about this. God, of all of the universe, is eager to be with his people again. God's waited thousands of years since the very fall of man to be in the midst of his people, to be in the midst of his nation, to be among them, to walk with them. No longer is God's presence way up on Mount Sinai where one man can walk up and be with him. But no, he's in the midst of his people. We have to remember, even as beautiful as the tabernacle was, there is still this separation between God and man. Verse 35 says, And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Moses, this great deliverer of God's people, was not even allowed directly in God's presence. This holy of holies was set apart. It was special. And we have to remember what Tom talked about a couple weeks ago. This holy of holies, this place where the Ark of the Covenant sat, one man was allowed to enter it once a year to make a sacrifice for the people. There's still this separation. There's still this gap. And we have to remember that because we're going to come back to that later on. But if the purpose of this book and the purpose of this chapter is to show us that we are to live a life of worship in the presence of God, we have the presence of God portion. So what does worship look like? What does worship look like for the Hebrew people? Well, in verse 36, we see that. It says this, throughout all their journeys, whenever the cloud was taken up from over the tabernacle, the people of Israel would set out. But if the cloud was not taken up, then they did not set out till the day that it was taken up. For the cloud of the Lord was on the tabernacle by day, and fire was in it by night, in the sight of all the house of Israel throughout all of their journeys. And God here has explained to us what the Hebrews people life of worship looked like. And when I first read that, I'm like, I'm all in, God. It's easy, right? When, when the cloud moves, I move, you know, a little bit like Simon says, that I, I could do that. It's very few directions, very simple. But the more I thought about it, the more amazing this life of worship became, the harder it became almost. Because what this shows us is that a life of worship is three things. The first thing is dependence. The Hebrew people were fully dependent on God's presence. They didn't move without God moving. They stayed when God stayed. God never sat down with them and said, okay, you guys go over here and decide your own. No, he said, you guys will follow me. They couldn't go on vacation because what happened if they came back and the tabernacle was gone, they too would be lost in it. So they were fully dependent on God. Their life of worship was complete and utter dependence. The second thing that the life of worship is defined by is that it's all-consuming. Think about what God is showing them here. That every portion of their life, from where they stayed and went, was fully a piece of worship. Right? They couldn't live two separate lives. It couldn't be them on Sunday and then them on Monday to Saturday. They couldn't decide, okay, God, I'll follow you here, but I won't go with you there. God, you can have my job, but you can't have my children. There was no way for them to live two separate lives. What they did each and every day was that every part of their life, every second of their day, was worship to God. And the third and last thing that Exodus 40 defines the life of worship as is, is that it follows God even when it's inconvenient. Think, they were living a tent nomadic lifestyle. They would have to set up that tent, tear it down all the time. God didn't give them preparation time and say, hey, if you guys can try to leave tomorrow at 8 a.m., you know, pack up your stuff and follow me, we'll go then. No. Every single time God left, they left. And think about in our own life, what makes things in our life inconvenient? 
It's the things that aren't on our schedule. It's the things that maybe insert themselves in. It's the things that take a little too much time, a little too much effort. It's the things that break the expectations of what we wanted them to be. And the Hebrew people's life was exactly that. All of their expectations were broken. So God paints for us a beautiful picture of what a life of worship in his presence looks like. But the tabernacle, this way of life, is not our story. Because if you haven't noticed, none of you are coming here, and none of this is a tabernacle. We do not live in the day of the tabernacle. But as the Old Testament unfolded, as God worked through the redeeming history of the Bible, we see that he also evolves the way his presence is seen. The tabernacle gave way to the temple. The temple was a permanent structure. It was grandiose. It was beautiful. It looked just like the tabernacle, but that's where they thought God's presence would be forever. But much to their dismay, the temple was destroyed. Then God used these men called the prophets to be his mouth, to speak to his people. And then as the Old Testament ends, we come to this portion that should be familiar to us. We come to this time where for 400 years in between the Old Testament and the New Testament, God was silent. And then he raised up a deliverer. Think about how the book of Exodus started for us eight months ago. For 400 years, God was silent while his people were in slavery. And then he raised up Moses as a deliverer. But for us today, our story is much greater because our deliverer is far greater than Moses. Our deliverer is Jesus, fully God yet fully man, came down to earth. And when Jesus came to earth, he, he described himself in an interesting way that seems bizarre. In John 1.14, it says this, And the word, being Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And the word used for dwelt there is actually the word tabernacled. So you could read the verse like this, And the word, being Jesus, became flesh and tabernacled among us. And we've seen his glory. Glory is the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus then describes himself in an interesting way that would have seemed bizarre to the people then. Jesus answered them in John 2.19. He says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. They thought Jesus was talking about the physical temple where God's presence resided. But no, Jesus was talking about his own body. Because what is he showing us here? Jesus is saying that no longer does God's presence reside in the temple, but God's presence is right here in front of you in the flesh. That he was fully God come to be with his people. And Tom talked about it a couple weeks ago now. Jesus fulfilled every facet that the tabernacle was created for. Right? Jesus was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He was the sacrifice that the high altar was used for. In John 4, he is the living water. Then he describes himself as the bread of life. He describes himself as the light of the world. He describes himself as the high priestly prayer or the prayers going up to the Father in heaven. And lastly, on the cross, when Jesus was crucified that day, he became the ultimate sacrifice to satisfy the sins of the Father. And on that day, the veil tore. No longer was there this holy God separated by a veil and his unholy people. Instead, the veil has now been lifted. And that now we have a holy God who makes his people holy. Not because of what they've done, not because of what they have accomplished, not because of how well they kept the Ten Commandments, no, but because he sent his very son to die 
on a cross. But again, we are no longer living in the time where Jesus walks on this earth. When Jesus ascended to sit up at the right hand of the Father, he said he was giving us something. He told his disciples, actually, better said, he was giving us someone. Acts 2, 3 to 4 says this, And divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Now no longer is God's presence figured as Jesus on earth, but instead he sends one person in the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, to fill up the people who believe in him, to fill up his children. And Paul says it even clearer. He says this in 1 Corinthians. He says, do you not know, speaking to God's people, that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Think about the complete insanity of that. That God's presence, the holy God of all the universe, would choose to make a way to be with his people. And it wouldn't be through a physical space, it wouldn't be through anything like the Old Testament, but that he would come to his children, that his presence would be amongst us. Think about that. When you go to, to work, God's presence is there because you are there. When you go back to your families, God's presence is there because you are there. When your children go to their schools, God's presence is there because they are there. And in order not to blow right past this myself, I did something that could be weird, but I had an imaginary conversation with Moses. All right, it was all in my head. It was this kind of weird play out. But I had to think about it. I had to do this. So in my mind, in my imagination, I sat down with Moses, and I, be, I started to have a conversation. And just like any good conversation, I start off with small talk because Moses has been dead for thousands of years. So I tried to explain to him, you know, because I'm a millennial, some things like the Internet, Twitter, things of that nature, they go way over Moses' head. So instead, I, I decide to ask Moses a question, and I just tee him up. Right? I know he will destroy this question. I say, Moses, tell me a little bit about the tabernacle. And Moses, just with this huge smile on his face, in my mind, right, well, this didn't happen, he starts going off about how beautiful the tabernacle was. And you can see the joy is just exuding from him. He goes, Will, think about how amazing the tabernacle was. That this God that we were unfaithful to, this God that we created a golden calf against, still decided to come and meet with his people. He decided to use the things that we created with our hands to be the place where he would come. That the God of all the universe wanted to be with us, wanted to be in the midst of our camp. The God who delivered us with Pharaoh with his mighty hands now wants to walk among us. He wants his presence to be with us. And he goes, well, once a year, one day out of 365 days, he let someone go into the Holy of Holies. Imagine that kind of access to God that lets you walk into his presence once a year. And in my imaginary story, he, he ends with a question. He says, Will, can you believe that the God of all the universe would do this for us? And I was in awe of how he spoke about it. But I had to break the, the news to him. I had to say, Moses, it got so much better than that. And I told him everything that we've just went through. That Jesus, the Son of God, took on flesh, became our true deliverer. 
He lived perfectly. He died brutally, but he rose gloriously so that we can be in God's presence. That no longer are we slaves to sin, but we have been freed by God, and because of that, God's presence now lives in us. God's presence is now in his holy temples who are his children. And every time I get to that point, Moses just flat out passes out. He's gone. Because his Hebrew mind can't understand that. He thought the tabernacle was as good as it got. But from what we've seen, it got so much better because Jesus was so much better. And this is the picture that God is painting for us throughout the book of Exodus and throughout the rest of the scriptures. And that is why Exodus 40 is so amazing. That we have a God who taught us about this narrative of taking the Hebrew people from bondage to freedom through his deliverer in Moses. And he did that so that his presence could be among them. And he does that for us through Jesus. And even though the presence of God may have changed, the way we worship God has not. Right? Just like the Hebrew people, we have to ask ourselves, what kind of life of worship are we living in the presence of God? And it goes back to those three things we talked about earlier. So we need to ask ourselves this. Is the life we are living, because we've been freed from our bondage by a good father, is it dependent on him? So what are you dependent on this morning? Is the good things that God has given you, is it your success? Is it your business acumen? Is it your children? Is it what you know? Is it how people think of you? Is it your reputation? All of those things are good gifts from God, but they are not meant to be dependent on for everything. And a good thermostat for your dependence on God is is think about your prayer life. Because we go to God to to show ourselves and to reorder our lives so that we can be dependent on him. So what are you going to God in prayer for? Secondly, is the life that you are living in the presence of God a life of worship that is all-consuming? Are there parts of your life that that you set over here and that you're living life over here with God, but you say, God, I I don't want you touching that part of my life yet. God, I I know I have some non-Christian friends I should probably talk to, but I I don't want to talk to them right now. God, you can can have my 10% tithe, but you can't have anything else. You can have this portion of Sunday, but Monday through Saturday is my own day. Are you holding things back from God? Lastly, is a life that follows God even when it's inconvenient? Is a life, that ha- a life of worship that happens just on Sunday or Monday through Saturday as well? So as we leave the book of Exodus, we remember what God has done for the Hebrew people. He's come and he has saved them from a life of bondage for the purpose of living a life of worship in his presence. And we come this morning understanding that that is our story as well. That God has saved each of us who call on his name from our bondage of sin into freedom. To live a life of worship with him. And that presence is not just contained to a physical space, but it's everywhere we go. And since it's our last chapter in the book of Exodus, we have to think about the big picture. Think about if we became a church right here that believe that we've been forgiven by God so that we can be freed from our bondage, and, and now we run out into the world living a life of worship in his presence. Think about what kind of impact that would have. It would have an impact on our lives personally. Our lives would be changed. It would have an impact on our families. It would have an impact on our marriages, on our children, on everything we touch. It would have an impact on the businesses we work in, the people we know. 
The city of Fort Lauderdale would even be changed. The ripple effects of this gospel is extraordinary. So we leave here remembering that we are a people who have been freed from our bondage and sin for the purpose of living a life of worship in the presence of God. Pray with me now. Our Father and our God, our great Redeemer, we, we love you. We thank you that you're a God who comes to us and, and sees us for who we are, but Lord, you don't leave us where we're at. We thank you for your son. We thank you for a sacrifice on the cross that, that tore the veil on that day so that we could be united to him fully. And Lord, we just ask your Holy Spirit fall in this place. We ask that it falls on the hearts of all of us in here, Lord. Give us grace where we fail, God, but also give us encouragement on, on where to go after this. We thank you for who you are. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.